This is Steve D'Agostino. This is Kier Nachado. This is TJ Walker, a.k.a. The Daddy. This is Gino Crandall from the Lester Riders. This is Ramon Fletcher. And you're now tuned in. And you're now tuned in. And you're tuned in to the BBL Show. BBL Show. BBL Show. BBL Show. BBL Show. You are listening to episode 32 of the BBL Show. I am Jay Marriott and he is Drew Lasker. Quite the week for you, Mr. Lasker. How are you feeling? Wow. We're recording this on Sunday night, obviously. Uh, <laughs> just got in from Glasgow. And let me tell you, we were 25 seconds away from me, probably skipping out on this recording tonight. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, all good, man. What about you, man? I see you uh, broke your personal record this weekend on your 5K run. Congratulations with that. Oh, man, I had to get the running shoes on. I've been trying to break a sub five for a while now. You know, I'm not I don't have a classic runner's build. And it could be argued that I could lose a couple of pounds, but I do like lifting in the gym as well. So I'll take that a sub five all day long. But listeners don't want to hear about my running antics. On this week's show, we go to Mr. Triple Double, Newcastle Eagles guard Cortez Edwards, Mr. Lasker's teammates. We also talk scores and top performers, player of the week nominees, the Lasker look back, hot topics, See us put our necks on the line again as we talk defensive player of the year candidates. But first, strap in. It's your social media spy. It's the Marriott Minutes. Okay, intrigued me. Just one focus here. Cheshire Phoenix guard Faro Gordon spoke to Sky Sports on the subject of the league taking the knee. He explains why he no longer takes a knee and calls for progress in fight for change. He said, I felt there was no weight behind it. It felt like a pass. It felt like we were giving the league a pass, the teams a pass, ourselves a pass by just saying, okay, we're kneeling. That's enough. So basically urging the league and clubs to address what's next. This is something we have raised awareness to several times and plan to revisit. Like all our social responsibilities, we plan to do more and are committed to keep these vital conversations current. Engage me. Have you checked out the new BBL features by the talented Buzz16? Our host, Mr. Lasker, gives teammate Justin Gordon the grill on all things BBL this season. If you have not seen it, get on it. Well worth it. Do it now. Wait a second. Don't do it now. Finish the pod, but then get on it. Our good friend, Captain Canada, Mike Tuck, became only the second player in Sheffield Sharks history to record 4,200 career league points. Think about the legends that have passed through that club. What an achievement. Props to our guy, Dee's Reels, as he intensifies the rivalries of this season. Check out the Falzon versus Defoe. Love seeing the battles within the battle. Plymouth Raiders have launched their series of children's books focusing on the adventures of their much-beloved mascot, Foxy. Interestingly enough, I noticed written by current GM, Phil Hughes. How cool is that? So great idea. Look out for that one. Finally, a huge welcome to the high tier hoops, Duke of Hoops, who has officially moved to London, currently in quarantine, enjoying lots of Nando's and cups of tea. 
He is British already, and we can't wait to catch up with him. Okay, amuse me. Our very own Mr. Lasker took me back to a memory I just didn't need to remember. The year of the great Wrigley sponsorship for Plymouth Raiders saw us enter a serious fashion faux pas. Our tracksuits looked like a Sprite can, and even Herculean big man Terence Durham was drowned in the 5XLs we had to wear. A story told some years later was, to save money, Chief Executive Dave Briggs measured the kit himself, not realizing it had to be measured differently, and thus was born the clothes fit for a hot air balloon. Okay, whenever I can, let me finish with the wise wisdom of Coach Vince McCauley with this quote, not all who wonder are lost. And that's it for this week's Marriott Minute. And great minute again, Jay. And yeah, those Wrigley days. You know what? Fashion comes and goes. And that is one of the few fashions that I look on and I'm like, let's not ever bring the baggy stage back again. Gosh, <laughs> it looks awful. <laughs> but anyhow, moving on to scores and ballers of the week. League action begins on Wednesday night in Plymouth, where our host, the social media spy returns to the pavilion for the first time since he last coached as he was on comms duty. And the big question was, how biased would he be? Well, it's safe to say he sounded like a natural and didn't allow his emotions to run too deep as his Plymouth Raiders put a dent into the Surrey Scorchers playoff hopes, winning 106 to 82. Our weekly picks guest Mike Morcell stars with 23 points and six rebounds. At the nation's capital, Lions keep their league title hopes alive, easily handling the Phoenix 87-61 with Orlando Parker leading with 14 points and eight rebounds. Friday night, London facing a cram schedule back on duties against the Scorchers where the Lions couldn't afford to drop this game. And now the pressure shifts back to the Riders after the Lions defeat the Scorchers 92-84 with DeAndre Liggins taking over this one with 33 points and four assists. Bristol looking to hold on to that eighth playoff spot with an opportunity to close in on seventh place. Sharks down by three with seconds to go. Jordan Rattino with a chance to ice it at the buzzer. Misses it and leaves the door open for Eric Lockett as he nails a 30-footer to take it into overtime. The thrill would end there as the Sharks win 96-91 and qualify for the playoffs for the 26th consecutive season. Episode 31 guest Jeremy Hemsley back up his pick of himself in the MVP conversation, finishing with a monster 30 points and four assists. Up in Glasgow with the Rocks with nothing more than pride to play for. As player coach Gareth Murray sits this one out to give the younger guys some game experience, they go on to lose 101-83 and the Surgeon Giants with Johnson finishing with 16 points and seven rebounds. Finally in the Northeast, after a week vacation for the Sky Sports, the cameras return to see the old rivalry Eagles hosting Riders. Riders needing this one to inch closer to the league title after the Lions won earlier in the night. In a game of two halves, the Eagles turned up with the defense and wins 90 to 80 
Justin Gordon returns to form, finishing with 24 points, eight rebounds, and five assists. Sunday, will we get some amazing action? And we start off in Surrey, where we have a huge game as they host the Giants. A Surrey win would make things really interesting in the playoff race, and they find a way to get it done against the hot Manchester Giants, winning 77-73. Martel McLemore steps up big with 17 points and five rebounds. Lions hosting Bristol as the Flyers hold on for dear life in that eighth spot, but the Flyers can't get it done as they fall 85-74. Orlando Parker finishes with 15 points and eight rebounds. Rocks host the Eagles at Emirates in a tight affair, and they get the Eagles on the ropes with three, and they get the Eagles on the ropes up by three with 20 seconds to go, and the Eagles go on a 5-0 run to close the game. Our guest, Cortez Edwards, finishes with 22 points, seven rebounds, and four steals. Sharks, Wolves, and another huge game down in Ponds Forge in a preview of playoff intensity. This game goes into double overtime with the Sharks prevailing after an Antoine Lillard three at the buzzer, seeing the Sharks through 91-88 as Lillard finishes with 20 points, eight rebounds, and six assists. Cheshire hosting the Plymouth Raiders, looking to get back on track with some confidence heading into the playoffs. Cheshire doing a great gesture, surprising Karan Ross by hosting his family on a Zoom call during the game. But the great gesture couldn't stop the Plymouth Raiders onslaught as the Raiders get it done once again on the defensive side of the ball without league-leading shot blocker eBay holding the Phoenix to 69 points, winning 86-69. Ashley Hamilton finishes with 25 points, five rebounds, and one monster dunk over Jimbo Lowell to close the weekend and wrap up this week's league's action. If you are enjoying this episode of the BBL podcast, support us on Patreon. Every contribution helps to fulfill our mission to distribute content that educates and inspires. Gifts of any size make a positive difference and are always appreciated. And nice league action right there. We go to player of the week nominees. Had to leave a couple people out here, but we still went with five total picks. We picked the hot hand of Mike Morsell at Plymouth Raiders. He went for 24.6 rebounds and four assists on a 29 index right before my eyes caught side. DeAndre Liggins of London Lions went for 33 points. Four rebounds, three assists for a 33 index. Jeremy Hemsley, episode 31 guest, went for a 30 piece with three rebounds and four assists for a 26 index. We had Justin Gordon in the big game against the Leicester Riders with 24 points, eight rebounds, five assists, a 28 index, and a dunk on someone's head. And then finally, Ashley Hamilton of the Plymouth Raiders had a big night tonight, 25 points, five rebounds, four assists for a 33 index, and I believe 100% from the floor. So that is your Player of the Week nominees. Remember, get those votes in, guys, who you want to see in that place. It's all up to you. Let's now turn our attentions to the velvety voice of our very own Mr. Lasker. It's time for the Lasker Look Back. In this episode of the Lasker Look Back, we talk triple doubles. 
Russell Westbrook has almost devalued that accomplishment, but don't be fooled. It is incredibly difficult, especially in the BBL. A player in our league who seems to flirt with a trip dub weekly is Newcastle Eagles star Cortez Edwards. When Brits travel to America on holiday, they are more than likely traveling to New York or Florida, Orlando to be specific. On your Disney World expedition, you probably didn't realize that you were 20 minutes away from Edwards' stomping ground as he starred locally at Osceola High School in Kimmesee, Florida. We call him the quiet assassin that just gets it done under the radar, unnoticed, until you glance at the box score and see it filled in every category. But what you see in the British Basketball League is no fluke as he did this at the University of Southern Miss, being named the most versatile player in school history, the only player in the program's history to finish their career ranked in the top 20 in points, top 15 in rebounds, and top 10 in assists. Speaking of triple doubles, Cortez Edwards is one of four players to record a trip dub going back to the 2008 season. Those players include Durham Wildcats legend Ralph Bucci, who recorded it twice with the same team, but in different seasons in 2012 and 2014. Lester Ryder star Aaron Hardy did it twice in his lone season in 2012, and Dante Nichols did it twice for Plymouth back in 2019. However, Cortez is the only player to do it for two different teams. Getting his triple-double on my wedding anniversary on March 26th this year, and also for the Worcester Wolves last season. Elite company for the Quiet Assassin. And that is your Alaska look back. And great lead into this week's guest and well remembered on the wedding anniversary. Well done, Mr. Alaska, you get some points for that. Let's go to former University of Southern Miss and Worcester Wolf, now starting combo guard for the Newcastle Eagles, Mr. Triple Double himself, Cortez Edwards. Welcome to the show, Cortez. How are you? I'm good, man. Doing great. Tez, my guy. Welcome in, man. What's up, Drew? How you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> it ain't like I just seen you a few minutes ago, but yeah. it's all good. But hey, man, I've been saying that you're one of the most versatile players in the league. As it seems like every single week you're flirting with the triple-double. Currently, you're leading the league in steals, top 10 in rebound and assists. And BBL fans shouldn't be surprised, though, because this isn't a fluke. You know, I did my research and at the University of Southern Miss, you are the only player in the program history to rank top 20 in points, top 15 in rebounds and and top 10 in assists. Being a guy that can literally do everything, what would you say is like your best or most natural attribute? Kind of that. I think that is my my best and most natural attributes is playing the game and having a feel for the whole game in its entirety. Something I really like love about you as well, though, is I talked about it with Drew is like that rebounding. That's just not like long rebounds. That's like going in and snagging it off the bigs and like, Hey, look, I, I was a guard when I was playing, so I don't necessarily understand a big, but I would sure there would be nothing more that would infuriate you than when a guard comes in and just rips it off you, you know? So I really enjoy that side of your game. Yeah, none of the bigs like it when I come still, come rebound, except Evan. Evan is pretty nice. But uh, <laughs> me, me and Justin kind of, we talk about it, but yeah. 
we talk about it. Just oh, he lets you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah they'd be, they be fighting over it. But, you know, speaking of, of Southern Miss, uh, just take us a little bit through your recruiting process because you're from Florida, which is probably like the Brits' number one holiday destination. So how do you end up in Mississippi? Pretty much my last, so the game before state championship, one of the assistants came to watch me play. And he he just told me he liked my game from warm-ups that he offered me. A few months later, I believe, yeah, it was around March Madness time. I went to visit. I went on an official visit. And once that was over, I probably committed like two, three days after my visit. Was it the campus? Was it the coach? What drew you into Southern Miss? Uh, so pretty much I came from a winning program in high school. So winning was like, the being a uh, winning program and uh, being able to play. So when I got there, guys like Neil Watson and uh, Gerald Brooks were there like two years before me, and they had won the conference. So come in, I was like, oh, they just won the conference like the year before, two years before. So this is a good program. The coach told me, you know, he he likes, he thinks I fit in well. He think I could play right away. So he sold me there. We actually, uh, so when, when I was coaching down at Raiders, we actually signed uh, uh, another one of the uh, former alum, Davian Boardingham. Boardingham? Mm-hmm. Is that his name? That was his name, right? Yeah, Davian. And uh, so he um, he literally just came in for preseason and sadly, like he had a, a family issue and he had to go mm-hmm. home. But oh, that kid that. was an unbelievable athlete. Wow. He was like just in practices, just had a few yeah. highlights right there for us. He was very, uh, very athletic guy. Nice guy as well. Really liked him. So it was a sad he didn't, he didn't stick around longer. But um, for me, like what did you find was the biggest difference, you know, from college, from going from college to the pros? Uh, just the access, like the access to the gym, to the weight rooms and stuff, the facilities, travel as well. And the biggest one was food, though. You, when you play Division One, you get a lot of free food. So you get <laughs> you go pro, you got to start cooking and, you know, yeah, being more responsible. That's the biggest difference, to be honest. Grown men stuff. Like, Drew, like, you, <laughs> you may be slightly different coming from, like, the Point Loma stuff, but did you guys have in your head, did going pro in Europe, like, live up to the expectations of what you thought pro was? Because, like Cortez is saying, is you're getting free gear, you get free shoes. You're getting free food. Courts are super, super nice. I've seen Point Loma yeah. and like they have some beautiful courts. I went down and played some tournaments in Juco. And then you kind of come in and like you maybe get like one track suit. Yeah. <laughs> like when you're coming into Europe, you know. So yeah. it's a bit different, right? Well, my experience yeah. was different because I, I, Point Loma wasn't D1 then. So we didn't get all the things that they get now. So when I got to Plymouth, I was like, yes, I finally made it. And I remember, and I told this story a couple of times on the first road trip, I see everybody with their Sainsbury's bag and I didn't bring nothing, not even water. Cause I was just thinking <laughs> we're going to stop halfway through. We're going to have a team meal. And uh, yeah, I was for a rude awakening. I learned that. Yeah. I was got a literally, Yeah. 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 So. Anyone share with you that day? <laughs> Nah, you know, Big Carlton Aaron wasn't sharp sharing, man. It's, you know, I feel yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough trip right there. If you're looking for him to try and bail you out, it's not happening. But uh. yeah, man. But so let's let, let's rewind back a little bit. So after a successful season, rookie season with the Wolves last year, you you led them to a cup, and then obviously 
COVID came and stopped the season abruptly. So you go home just like every American in Europe last year. Talk through how the Newcastle Eagles actually came in the picture. I had a few talks with uh, Worcester again, but I thought I was going to move on, but certain things didn't come together how I thought. Then uh, Ian, my AJ hit me up like, Ian's going to call you. So I got the call. We had to talk. I knew I knew that you got the way you guys played. So I already knew the style of play, the way he talked. And then I, I knew the way Fletcher was a great guy, you know, the whole history. And then once we had a talk, I had a talk with my agent. I just took a week, you know, just to weigh out my other options. And then I signed. <laughs> I asked for those papers. So was um you you say kind of you thought you would be moving on. Was that in your head, you know, so like you, you had uh, done well, won a finals, et cetera, et cetera. Did you think like you were going to move on to something else or was it more your agent was kind of feeding that through? Uh, a little bit of both, pretty much 50-50. Like I thought I'd be moving on. And then he was talking to me about certain different teams in different countries that we were talking to as we were talking to uh, Newcastle. So I think here we were a little bit more stable on what things were going to be like than other places. So I just had to secure a job, really. Just, and I knew what, what to expect. Yeah, let that be a lesson to you, man, because there ain't nothing guaranteed in this business. Yeah. So, you know, I always tell guys, don't burn bridges. Make sure you keep situations in the back pocket because you just never know. You always think yeah. that there's something bigger on the horizon. And, and, and you know, you, you don't know what your agent is talking with these teams about. You know, yeah, you could yeah. only go by their words. So mm-hmm. but I remember like you coming in that first week and I remember thinking like, man, this guy is really quiet. But now that I know that you was just actually just filling yourself around a new club. And people might not know this, but like you're re- like you're a really fun, quirky, silly personality. So it's been really cool to watch your your evolution this season, in particular, how much you stepped up in the leadership role. Has leadership always been part of your identity or is that something that you just have grown part of your game this season? Uh, it's always been a part of my identity. It just takes me a little while to get to know different personalities and and getting used to different people. You know, I was, we, I was playing against you guys last year. So, like, the first week, it's like, oh, this is kind of weird. You was super cool. Like, yeah. I didn't know if I could joke with Darius yet. You know, like, yeah, me yeah. and Fletcher are cool. Me and Fletcher are cool. But it was Darius. I'm like, I don't know if I could joke with Darius yet. Because he seemed like a really serious guy when you're on the team. So, yeah, it was just. And you were cool, too. I knew you were cool. But it was really Darius and, like, this. <laughs> So, the, so the, this team. perception you added to foe then, now you've got to know Mr. 26. Is, is that kind of uh-huh. banished now when you, you, you realize just how silly he really is? Oh, yeah. Me and him, we probably, we joke around all day, all practice. <laughs> all right. I'll run and like push him in the back, just randomly or something. Or throw the ball at him while he's talking to a coach or something. with this random stuff. He's cool with it. <laughs> I love it. He's a, he's a great guy, that's for sure. So yeah. two finals in two years, yeah? Two trophies. Talk us through the difference between the two. You know, there, there's some obvious ones there. So no fans, you know, different coach, maybe even a different role. It, is one better than the other for you? Different? Uh, no, because every year is different, different challenges. But this year, I'd say just the, the route we took in that group we had in the cup was just like, yeah, we had to be ready like every game for that first couple months. So just that route. And then kind of weird. I played Leicester in the semifinals last year and semifinals this year, but 
besides that, every everything, you know, I was prepared for, but the the group of death, as some people called it, yeah, that was that was different right there. Oh, it wasn't it wasn't just some people drew right who, <laughs> who, right who? I, I give him his props right. he, he coined it right here and everybody yeah. ran with that i can watch you know, it, man. Yeah. these people man they'd be listening to the pod and then they just go running off you know like you can't <laughs> stop them but no i'm just kidding but who did that draw anyway was that daniel routledge because that was it that was <laughs> the, the... i don't even think that was a draw that was just a it was based on what teams were going to be ready to play so I think in the group of death, it was the four teams that was actually ready to play at the time, yeah. and that's how they grouped them. So, you know, it worked out, so it's all good. Wowza. So, um, anyway, moving on from the group of death, it can be argued that yourself and Fletch are the best backcourt in the league. I've said a few times on here to Drew that you guys have this very rare connection that usually takes, like, such a long time to gain and I remember seeing you guys in preseason and it was already there like what do you attribute that to and and I'm talking about like the little things as well I've seen like you know Fletcher dribble past you little behind the back you know and that's a real trust thing that you've got to know that your guy is right there what was that down to did it just click right away uh yeah yeah pretty much just we both can think the game so when he sees something and I see it, just just already knowing. And when you play with somebody like that, when you run the floor, it makes it so easy. So you just run the floor, move without the ball, he'll find you. So just being ready and, and moving with a purpose is, is great. I don't know about you, Drew, but I think from like Fletcher's perspective, he must have just thought very, very, very early on that this is a great fit for him. You know, so Cortez is able to take that pressure off him with the ball handling when needed, but also as well, your movement off the ball is exceptional. And for somebody like Fletch, he must be just thinking, yes, please. <laughs> what do you think, yeah, Drew? Yeah, well, I remember when Mac, me and Mac, we had a, we met at a coffee shop this summer and he had told me that Cortez was in the picture. And I remember thinking initially, I was like, man, I don't know, because from at Worcester, you had the ball in your hands a lot. So I was like, well, I know Fletch ain't going to come off the ball. So I was like, if, if Cortez is open to playing off the ball, then, you know, I, I think it could actually work. But, you know, I didn't know till he actually got here that he told me he's actually a two guard. He just happened to play point guard last year. So that's Mac doing his homeworks. And, you know, it, it worked out great. No, let's get yeah. I mean, first of all, you freed up my boy Marty B this year. So now he can, you know, he can just run amok. But yeah. Drew, Drew, what did you order from the coffee shop out of interest? You and Mac, like you simple guys or <laughs> you a little bit pretentious or how does that I'm go? A, I'm a latte with a half brown sugar, man. That's it. Nothing, nothing serious. Yeah. Okay. Roughly in between. What about, what about Mac? You know, like ice latte, yeah. almond Black milk. Tea. Yeah, tea, tea straight out the kettle. No milk, no <laughs> sugar, no nothing. Like <laughs> a hard and northerner. Is that right? Yeah. Put something right. in there, some honey or something, man. Yeah. yeah he's different. <laughs> now, I bet I bet you he gives you the whole, I'm sweet enough. That's what he says, isn't he? I bet he says that. Anyway, look, playoffs just around the corner. It seems you guys are a little out of rhythm. What is a team, and th- this goes to both of you guys, like what is a team is your main focus going into this you know because you've got to be thinking maybe you guys are looking at positions in terms of on the ladder but I think going into the playoffs you'll always want that certain feeling and then also the same question for you individually what are you guys focused on uh I think as for us is the defensive end because when we scoring pretty much we can beat anybody but we can't stop anybody so 
this game is just gonna be close games every time because we're just going back and forth. So once we get that defensive end taken care of, and those games where shots aren't going in, we need to be able to uh, win those games. Tez said it. It was the defense, and I mean, we had a meeting earlier this week just to kind of talk it through as teams do when they struggle, and that was pretty much the the consensus is that. You know, being an offensive team, minded team like we are, like our identity is to run and to get those 100 possessions, but you're not going to be able to shoot well every single night. So it's just about, you know, having something else that you can rely on, hang your hat on, and and that's defense. I mean, you see it with Leicester, games that they don't play well. Even London, there's been a couple games with London that they haven't played well, but they still were able to dig out wins, and we I just felt like that's one area that we lack, but – you know, after this week, I'm feeling pretty confident that we're trajecting in the right way. So got a big test tomorrow. So we'll see. Yeah, that's good. So individually for you guys, like what are you kind of focused on going in? Is is there anything that you want to tighten up on? Is it um, just staying healthy? Is it, is there anything in particular that you, you guys have got in your mind? For me, it's pretty much being more consistent. I've been a little inconsistent in this rough patch. Try to look for the three ball a little bit more because – Every, every team's packing the paint. So just making teams defend us a different way and picking up my level of play for playoff time. Yeah, just being locked in and trying to bring that energy factor in because, you know, we need another guard off the bench. That's one area we've lacked all year. Tez and Fletcher played heavy minutes. And so we got to have the ability to give them a breather and keep things afloat or take things up. So, you know, me personally, I just been challenging myself like, hey, I, I, you know, I need to raise my game up to whatever level that is at this point in my career. And that's the only way I feel like we're going to be able to win it because we're not going to win it if both of those guys are playing 40 minutes. So just somebody, an X factor that we can rely on. So I'm just trying trying to be that. Yeah, especially especially in the playoffs, like you always find that some point in that run in any league, there's always yep. uh, some unsung heroes that sort of come to the party to get you to that level. Usually, you know, on the finals and the big stage, it, you see those stars sort of come to life. But at some point, you need that collective, don't you? So, um, yeah, I think that's exciting to see and good to hear you both sort of feeling confident going into into this week. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And and Tez, I know I said that I wasn't gonna throw you any curveballs, but um, you know, I, I yeah, got here we go. Let's go my sleep, but I lose, <laughs> but man, but nah, man. So you you lead the league in steals this year. So I wanted to put you on the spot just because Jay and I are gonna discuss the defensive MVP ladder later on in the show. So mm-hmm. you know, I want you to give me your top five defenders in the BBL this season. Okay, we got no research, nothing, just off the no top, research. off the dome. Yeah, this is definitely cold for you right now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you got DeAndre Liggins, Jamel, Prince Bay, mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. and that fifth spot. I'm gonna, I say Dirk Williams. He's a, he's, he's tough on that wing. Yeah, that, that's interesting because he came mm-hmm. on here and said that's a part of this game he wanted to grow and going up against Liggins every day in practice is kind of motivated him to be better on that side of the ball. So I'm pretty sure he'll be excited to hear that. Yeah, I think the more I watch him, the more I'm realizing that Liggins is uh, really sort of impressing on him. You can, you can really yeah. see him defensively now sort of 
I think Liggins is sort of showing him a little little things, especially around pressure. That's what I've mm-hmm. noticed from him. It is definitely a difference. But uh, I'm glad to see Cortez throwing in a little Mike uh, Tuck right there, a little confidence, yeah. you know, like that's what he I've seen it now. I've seen it. <laughs> so Mike Tuck's influencing Hemsley. I get mm-hmm. that, but now he's influencing other teams. This is interesting. Yeah. I will have to get his thoughts on that. Uh, some- I left out I left out William Lee, but He's, he's in there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I actually I forgot that. about William Lee. I love that William Lee, yeah. He was a defensive player of the year in your conference, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was – I think he won it twice. He was. He's a great shot blocker in college, so I, I know all about it. Do you think it's crazy to say he's quite an underrated piece for the Riders, considering, like, you know, probably every week he's got some sort of highlight, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of the praise is going to the general, right? He's going to Gino, so – it's interesting. Yeah. I, th- I think he's a huge piece. I think if they if they had lost him within that rotation, just because you know that he really can switch off on a, a lot yeah. of players, you know, so he can go bigger, he can go smaller. I, th- I really like him. Yeah, they got a lot of underrated pieces, <laughs> but yeah, for sure, he, he's a he's good on the offensive end, highlight player, and great defender. So. He's great at that four spot. Whilst we got you on here, like what what what's your guys' feelings about one Gino's healthy, which is great for the league. Maybe not great, so great for everybody going in the playoffs. And now they're adding Mo Walker to that situation. Now I'm I'm not sure like whether you're going to have a hundred percent Mo Walker, but just having a guy of that talent being able to join the playoff roster is is a little ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but I like it because I think it takes Ali Fraser. If they play Mo minutes as well, Ali Fraser's uh, rhythm. He's playing really good, Ali Fraser. Is right yeah. Now. His, yeah. It messes up his rhythm a little, so I like that if they play him. Yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's enough time for him to really – find his feet you know what i mean he's been out pretty much two years so um if anything it could it could knock off their mojo a little bit but i mean we'll see i mean a guy of that talent and that size i mean if you get in foul trouble or injuries anything you can plug him in there he knows how to Mm -hmm. play so i mean speaking of the of the ladder what was your thoughts on the mvp ladder because jay and i was torn with fifth right so i actually told you fifth he chose dirk williams so that's why we went to six when ultimately one really is supposed to be top five. What was I, your I, I added the sixth and I got slated yeah. for it. I added yeah. the sixth. <laughs> you got, take you it. Got, I'm a, I'm no, a man, it was me. No, you I, got I scared. Added. You got scared. Of I added six. No, it was my birthday. I felt <laughs> entitled to pick six. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad y'all picked six because I would have been a little upset, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, hey, yeah. I should be up there too, you know. I got a few accolades, you know, a few. Stats, no numbers don't lie, but yeah. What I found interesting about that was like not necessarily it wasn't the argument for those people really close. It was like this whole debate of like top 20 guys. Yeah. And, and and then what was more fun is there wasn't one single person that was willing to put their name to five and they were trying to be, oh well, let's do first team, second team, third team. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> we can get everybody in there then. You know, everybody's happy. But yeah. we we just we just picked those guys as it was and uh it is what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Like Drew like said, it. it's only, gonna change every week. The only thing that matters is the top team. I think the top thing was we could have changed a little bit. I they think it, it's um. This would be quite interesting with you. Like, how do you judge an MVP? Because for me, there's three rites of passage for me. Mm-hmm. So one is winning. Okay, that's where mm-hmm. I want to go first. I wanna, I wanna look at winning. 
I want to look how their influence on the league and then the great deciding factor to try and, you know, so I think it's three. I think there's three guys that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You then get the stats out, you know, and then you start trying to differentiate between three. But how, how would you... How would you judge an, uh, an MVP? I know, Drew, you would add the, the eye test in there as well. You <laughs> yeah, know? the eye test. I think you got it right. The top three is right. But it's, it's with the stats, it's hard to – with Liggins, it's hard to uh, really identify because he, he just adds a different level for London. Like, he has a different level of play. And the way Gino and Fletch control the game for both their teams and just their stats and their – like, the eye test when they play. So, it's a difficult thing to do, but – I'll go with the winning, winning uh, eye test and and numbers overall numbers once you once you look at it. I like it. it. it so here's a curveball for both of you. We we're, we're really going ad lib now. I'm going in a completely different direction. But here's a curveball for you: Newcastle Eagles make the playoff finals and win, and Justin Gordon wins his second MVP of the year. Does that change the top three? Yeah, it does. It does. Well, no, because playoffs that isn't oh, playoffs part of the conversation. It's not oh, part yeah, of the conversation. Oh, okay. oh, I thought I had you guys then. You were both like, sitting there going, wow, like, we got to pick all, between all, Fletch and Gordon. Nah, all, that, all, all that says is that Justin Gordon is a big game player. Mm-hmm. Like when the mm-hmm. lights is the brightest, he shows up, which is probably just beneath the MVP. When you talk about an accolade, like that's huge yeah. to be beside your name. Yeah, you got two of them. You good. I'm still yeah. trying to get one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe maybe you're in that William Lee echelon. You know, you're you're getting a little underrated there since you hang yeah. around that triple double so much, which is a phenomenal thing. I think anyone who's not really paying attention to that, like people who are listening to this pod, really need to pay attention to the fact how you affect the stats board overall. Is 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 pretty crazy for this league. It's not not generally seen when you um. You were talking about Liggins and his influence. Are you surprised by the way that he has played? You know, because obviously, like fans, they heard he played with LeBron James, he played in the NBA, and this far and wide social media are expecting him to go to fit for 50 every night, you know? And actually, when we had Coach Vince on earlier in the season, he was saying that Liggins didn't feel comfortable with that at all. Like he wanted to be him which I think is what we get. I think we get that true version. Were you surprised by that or were you kind of suckered into that as well, thinking that he may? Uh, no, I was just, me personally, I thought he would have like tried, he would have came into the league like underestimating it. But from the first game he's played, he's played the same way. He's played hard, defense. He'll chase you all around the court. I seen him chasing Karan Ross the other night, chasing him all around the court. So, I was actually surprised by how hard and uh, consistent he plays. Totally agree. As a hooper, fellow hooper, you got you got to respect that because, like Tez says, like you would think that he would come in this league and think that he's too good for everybody, but you have mm-hmm. not one time gotten that kind of aura about him. So it just says a lot about his character. Yeah, I was I was definitely like I was definitely worried about that. It's just like what's the motivation? And he's definitely got that in, intrinsic motivation. And yeah, he's he's obviously still got some more of his journey to go, which is great. But um 
Hey, look, thank you. We kind of ad lib towards the end there. I know that um, the great thing is, is that we've got that defensive MVP ladder off Cortez now. So Mm -hmm. we've got three (laughs) people on our graphic. So they're going to. He said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't call me. Don't DM me. I, don't I didn't, I didn't listen. Those names were not uh, in order. It was just, uh, you know, yeah. That's right. Five or six, you you can just work your magic. Do whatever you think is the most controversial and go in that yeah. order. That's fine. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he, he, Drew was getting a little bit sweaty last week. He was just like, he, <laughs> he, he was making me laugh. But uh, no, thank, thanks so much for coming and joining us. That will be a source of debate. I'm sure that we'll be able to laugh about, but yeah. um you know, really good luck heading into these playoffs. You know, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a really unpredictable year, I think. The yeah. format is different. I think the team, it's it's really interesting. There's some teams that I thought were in really hot form a couple of weeks ago that seem not. And then there's some other teams creeping up into good form. So, yeah, wow. Navigate that, guys. Good luck. That's <laughs> <laughs> man win. Appreciate you coming on, my boy. All right, man. Y'all take it easy, man. Thanks, All Cortez. Right. All right. Be safe, man. Okay. Just hot topics to go now, Mr. Lasker. We are glutton for punishments here after the raucous Uh noise of the MVP ladder. We decide to go another step. Defensive player of the year. Now, before we go on, has anything happened this week to change your mind on the top three in the MVP race? Ooh, great question. Oh, man, that's tough. I mean, not really. Not not really. I mean, Fletcher, to be honest, Fletcher is neck to neck with Gino in that one and two spot. I think Ligon stay put in third. The only way for me that Fletcher gets the top spot is if the Newcastle Eagles continue winning somehow, some way the Leicester Riders fall apart. And then that gives room to reward a player that is possibly going to finish the season as the scoring champ and assist champ for the first time since, I don't know, Dave Forrester put it out there in Twittersphere, but a very long time in the British Basketball League. So, But as of today, I still see it with Gino. And again, it's just because Leicester has an opportunity to win the league and he's been a big piece. But if it's not for that, any other year, Fletch wins it. But I'm staying put for now. For me personally, I cannot separate the two. And I, and I think honestly, like now that I'm having time to think about it, I think that I'm just too used to the level that Fletch plays at. And then you start to kind of look into it. And like you said, leading the league in scoring, leading the league in assists. He's got a trophy. So I know people will value the league and the cups maybe slightly differently, but he's got a trophy. Gino hopefully will be adding a trophy to that cabinet sometime soon, maybe Wednesday. So for me, I I just find them neck and neck. I think the only thing that kind of separates them outside of stats is maybe just that Gino is, I feel has been the face of the BBL this year as well. And, and there's lots of people out there arguing that this has been the, the season where more social media and people like these reels and stuff like that have brought that to the table as well. So can't separate those two and agree with you, Liggins third and whatever happens underneath that ladder is irrelevant. So defensive MVP. So defensive player of the year, Drew, I'll let you go first. We're going to uh, pick five names. There's a couple guys that we probably left off the list that we will talk about 
at the end. But I'll let you go ahead and pick number one, Drew. Yeah, before we start this, Jay, I think we must say, because I, I would assume that we're on the same page about this. When it comes to defense, I don't trust analytical measures when it comes to defense. The defense is all about the eye test to me. I don't even really trust stats because they could be misleading because, you know, you could be up there in steals and blocks or whatever. And a lot of that can just be from, well, let me say this anticipation is a skill and it should be rewarded. But when I'm thinking of defensive MVP, I'm thinking of someone who is locking up on the ball and also has that knack off the ball as well. So I'm not looking for someone who's great just off the ball. You got to be able to guard the ball. And starting with the number one spot, I think it's a consensus. We have to go with DeAndre Liggins for the simple fact that he's been a pest all year while carrying that London Lions team offensively, also having the energy to get it done on the other side of the ball, picking guys up 94 feet. We saw it in the Sky game against Sharks. Him setting the tone, picking up Hemsley 94 feet the first couple possessions. And with those long arms, he just causes havoc and now you look at the stats he's i think he might be still in the top 10 in stills but this is nothing that you wouldn't know unless you watch the games and so from the eye test Liggins gets the first spot for me yeah and and for me how impressive is it that this, this guy's played the nba played meaningful minutes in the nba played high level europe and he's still coming in into the bbo and i'm not belittling the bbo at all but we are trying to be up and coming and he's come in with this kind of attitude where like you said, he's trying to lock everybody else up. He hasn't come in trying to be, you know, Mr. Big. He wants to be who he is. And uh, yeah, I, ju- I just really enjoy watching him on that defensive end from the very first European game that we got to see him in. And that length was just an issue for them, let alone teams in the BBL. Okay, number two, we've gone with Justin Gordon. So for me, Drew, everything you said there is I'm looking for versatility. That's what I'm looking for. And in those early games, those battles against the London Lions, you saw Justin Gordon being able to move from um, an Orlando Parker, maybe even sometimes moving to Tawia, and then being able to go out and match up against the Liggins. And I think that his versatility has just been outstanding. He's fantastic on the boards. You know, we know how athletic he is. We know he can change shots. He just does a bit of everything for me. And defensively, he's just locked in. And I think that when he raises that level defensively, I think that really brings out the best in you guys and your running game. So for me, number two, locking in Justin Gordon. Yeah, just to piggyback off JG, he has specifically won us three games this year. I'm just thinking about the Plymouth game that came down to the last possession uh, where he was guarding Ashley Hamilton, I believe. And he's been in a situation where he's had to guard the player who was trying to score the game-winning basket, and he he's locked them up. And then there was one other game that he had a great side, help side defense for the final play of the game. So, yeah, you have to put him up in there. And, and like we said, it's for the versatility, if anything. Moving on to pick number three. We got to go with, uh, we decided to go with Jamel Anderson. And the reason being is, again, like we mentioned with that versatility with Justin Gordon, the same could be said with Jamel Anderson. He can guard pretty much one through four. He, he, he won't, you won't see him at the five like Justin Gordon, but he can legit guard one through four, causes havoc. You've seen him guarding Fletch, 
to guarding a six, seven Liggins. And, and this is what really stood out for me is the games in which Leicester play London. I don't think Liggins has really been able to shake loose. And a lot of that has to do with Jamel Anderson as he's taken that, that matchup. And, and, you know, that is Jamel Anderson's role for the Leicester Riders is to come out there and be a defensive pest. And, you know, with this length of in a six, six frame, you know, he can pick up 94 feet as well, make it tough on you. And again, you know, he gets put in this position because of his on ball defense. So you won't see him in any of the stats that you see there, the blocks, the steals. But again, this is the eye test and Leicester Riders are one of the best defensive teams in the BBL. So, uh, of course, we have to have a rider in there. Yeah, exactly. And and for me, I think it counts that he's been doing it for a number of years. You know, for a number of years, he's seen as an outstanding defensive player for his versatility. Um, at number four, we've gone with his teammate, William Lee. And for me, again, it's pretty much the theme right the way through our picks of versatility. So it's looking at the fact that he can move and switch out to guards. It's given them a lot of versatility that way. He's a phenomenal shot blocker. I think the reason why he's probably not higher is uh, his individual defense sometimes can be, can be questioned. But I think the way in which his team defense plays, his length, very similar to kind of Liggins, the way that he's just taking up tons of space. And I bet you one stat that he might be able to win on, and I'm sure now Dave Forrester is going to be plying him his trade over these tapes, but deflections. That's one thing that I would like to see that I think would be a, a, a theme throughout this defensive MVP picks. And William Lee would be right up there at the top, I believe. So William Lee does a bit of everything. Shot blocking, which is always, you know, pretty to see. Great rebounder, can switch off, to, uh, switch off on any defensive assignment. So I'm locking in number four, William Lee. Yeah, agreed. And I think this is the first player on this list that we have in here that you could probably say is the best off ball defender as William Lee gets a lot of those uh, weak side blocks. He got one on me at the very beginning of the season that D's reels caught before we knew who D's reels was. about that. Thanks for reminding me. He caught, <laughs> he caught one on Darius Defoe the last time we played Lester. And then he just got a nasty one on Rex Fluger. That was not a goal 10, by the way, but um, that's what he does. Um, he comes from the weak side. He can cover a lot of space in a short amount of time. And so, you know, he deserves to be in there. But moving on to the fifth pick, and this is where it gets controversial for Jay and I. And, you know, there's easily four or five guys that can go in the spot. But ultimately, we decided on Ashley Hamilton. Uh, the reason being is for, again, the theme versatility. You, you, you can see him guard. He, you probably won't see him guarding the one like DeAndre Liggins. But, you know, I see him in the Justin Gordon mode, can go two through five. Very strong, probably one of the strongest players in our league. He has great length, great size. And then also Plymouth Raiders being the number one defense in the league, also the number one defensive rebounding team in the league. So we had to have a Plymouth Raider in there. It was only fitting. And to be honest, you know, that could have probably gone to maybe two or three guys, but uh, we had to give it to Hamilton because of his versatility. So we got Ashley Hamilton in that fifth spot. Yeah, I think for me, again, he, he's probably an unsung hero in this kind of area just because he's relied on so heavily for his offensive output as well. You know, we kind of forget, like you said, I'm glad you said it. He is one of the strongest guys in the league. I've seen five men trying to back him down. I watch with my own eyes. You know, last week's player of the week, Lacey James, 
had a real, real problem trying to back him down in the post and ended up actually being pushed out to settle him for 15-foot jump shots. So love the defensive intensity that Hamilton brings. And that's just overall within the Plymouth Raiders. And, and I think if we just look at a couple names, you know, like I said, we mentioned quite a few names, but a couple names down there that jump out to me and, and perhaps Drew wants to talk about them. If it's obviously one that jumps right out to us is Prince eBay. You know, unfortunately, under circumstances out of his control and, and family issues, he's he's not able to be around. But obviously, leading the league in blocks. I still think, obviously, if you look into the history books of Plymouth Raiders, it's nowhere near as impressive as as uh, one Garrick Morris. If anyone remembers, that guy was an unbelievable shot blocker. But yeah, for sure, is is definitely enabled Plymouth to become the defense that they are. To be honest with you, they haven't lost a step without him. I'm, I'm not sure whether that marks him down in people's eyes, but hasn't tended to slow down. Ocherobia has come in and done an absolutely great job. And it has meant that Will Neighbour and Ashley Hamilton have had to really jump into that four spot and be more of a presence there. But it's still working for them. Obviously, I would probably throw out there the two Leicester Riders guards, Connor Washington and Gino Crandell. Absolute pests when it comes to on-board defense and making those things happen. I think Gino is more uh, a guy that's sort of directing traffic on both ends of the floor, but still a phenomenal defensive player. Connor Washington is just a guy you do not want around you. It just feels like he's around your ankles the whole time. And lastly, I would throw out Chris Porter-Bunton. I've been just really impressed the more and more you watch him on that defensive end because he he literally puts his body on the line for any assignment that you give him. So he's, he's guarding everybody. He's got the intensity. For me, I think foul trouble plagues him a little bit. That's the one thing I, th- I think he hasn't been able to adapt to. So he gets very frustrated if he's not allowed to play that aggressive style of defense that he likes playing. But he's certainly been impressive on the defensive end. I don't know if there's anyone you want to add in there, Drew, or you want to you know continue highlighting I totally agree with the names that you mentioned. Probably one other guy that we mentioned is uh, Hemsley. Um, he's up there in stills as well. Cortez leads the league in, in stills. But if you're looking at our list and you're probably wondering why there aren't any guards, our, our list are, are full of versatile forwards for the most part, is because when I think of from a guard standpoint, you got to be a lockdown defender for me to put you in there. Someone like a, a, a Fab Flournoy who – he can guard you straight up and he can lock you down in the half court. Connor Washington isn't on the list just simply because Connor is more of a 94 foot guard who picks you up, causes havoc. But I don't see Connor as like, okay, man, mano y mano in the half court locking you down. Uh, same thing with Gino. Gino is just, you know, he causes a lot of havoc with his long arms. He reaches a lot and uh, he disrupts the ball a lot, but it's not like he's standing in front of a man and locking a man down. Same thing with Cortez. Cortez isn't locking you down one-on-one, but his help side defense off the ball is amazing. And his anticipation is incredible. Hence why he leads the league and stills and the same thing goes for Hemsley as well. So that's why you don't see any, any shooting guards or point guards in there for me, because I don't really see anyone in this class this year that, that is guarding anyone in the half court and saying, okay, you are not scoring. Most of these other guys are pretty much specialists in one specific area. But again, it's just opinion. You know, maybe the way you look at it is different the way that Jay and I look at it. So it's all good. It will be for sure. But 
just for the record, defensive player of the year in our mind, number one, DeAndre Liggins, number two, Justin Gordon, number three, Jamal Anderson, number four, William Lee, and number five, Ashley Hamilton. I know you guys will be keen to debate. And if you feel like you can't pick a specific five, then you can simply have a first team, a second team, and a third team and keep everybody just happy. But... We're going to do it. And that's right, Daniel Rutledge. I picked five this week. I didn't go with six. It's not my birthday. I didn't feel a little bit extra and I've been brave. That's it for me. We are hurtling towards the playoffs. Let's all keep our eyes on Wednesday's big showdown, Leicester Riders versus London. Lions could see the title decided on that day. Once again, I appreciate your eyes and ears for another episode. Your support is amazing. This will release... After our Facebook Live with WBBL star Siobhan Pryor and Rianne Bailey, as we continue the hard work of International Women's Day, building on our commitment to hashtag choose to challenge. So if you missed it, head over to our Facebook and check it out. Drew, lead us out. Have a great week, guys, um, and be safe out there as pubs and gyms are back on full force. And uh, we will see you guys next week as we inch closer towards the playoffs. And, and I'm really looking forward to sitting down with the, with the ladies tomorrow. Again, uh, this will have already been recorded when this is released, but you can go back to that Facebook page and catch it a little bit later. Again, as we show our commitment towards Choose the Challenge. But uh, we see you next week, same place, same time, guys. And we'll be back here on the show. The show. Thanks for listening to the BBL show. The BBL show is a 21 media original podcast produced by Corey Mallory with your host, Jay Marriott and Drew Lasker. Keep up to date with the show by following the BBL on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, where you can find details on future episodes events and fan interaction until next time